football poop is doing. Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So, Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo here with Sam Watson. We're reviewing all things Week Nine in the NFL. How you doing, Sam? Good, Steve. Good. You? You look fired up for seven in the morning. Let's do this. But first, a little note from our friends over at Monkey Knife Fight. All first-time depositors at Monkey Knife Fight that put at least twenty dollars into their account while using the promo code PFF will receive a free PFF Edge annual subscription. You have to understand what you get here. 365 days of access and, you know, like the draft guide that you're probably going to buy in March or April, mm-hmm. you just get it right now, early, get the old ones. You're signed up for it for the year. It's a $40 value for just 20 bucks, and you'll get the opportunity to turn that 20 into even more money playing daily fantasy and prop games at one of the fastest-growing fantasy sports sites in the U.S. It's Monkey Knife Fight. So go to Monkey Knife Fight, deposit your $20 with the promo code PFF today, and receive a free PFF Edge annual subscription let's get into all the action sam week nine starting with thursday night ages ago the green bay packers destroyed the san francisco 49ers the niners were completely depleted nick mullins out there aaron Rodgers, a pristine effort probably the quarterback of the week for us this week pending monday night football any thoughts on that packers niners game from days ago yeah it was funny this i looked at this as the first game up on the schedule i was like i don't remember that game yesterday. this is every week sam every week we talk about the thursday game and it feels like we. i was like i don't remember that game yesterday and then i was like oh yeah that was the thursday game i, was like, I don't remember that game on thursday either <laughs> it just completely disappeared from my memory banks and then i was like oh yeah that was when Devontae adams just went off and absolutely destroyed everybody and was uncoverable despite not having anybody else still you know the big flaw in this green bay offense is that there's no secondary target to Devonte adams turns out it didn't matter it doesn't the 49ers matter. he just wrecked them anyway um and when that happens rogers has a good day and that's pretty much all she wrote if the uh 49ers weren't able to keep pace which they weren't Devonte, the best receiver in the nfl right now i think you can make the case now look i know you know you've got julio jones you've got a bunch of other candidates most of them have missed time and Devontae Adams, like his, his only flaw right now is that he's missed time in like each of the last several seasons, right? He's not an every down, every game presence. You can't rely on him being out there the same way you can a few other receivers. But when he's been out there for the last few years, he's been as productive as anybody. He's been, you know, arguably the best route runner in the NFL for a number of years. I think now he's added, you know, a couple of other elements to his game. He's become this all-round threat and I don't know that there's a flaw in his game anymore at which point he's in the conversation Adam's currently the highest graded receiver by PFF standards he's tied for first in the league in first downs or was at least coming into Sunday 
and it's not cheating because he's only played in six games, and a lot of other guys have played in oh, seven yeah, his or eight numbers, and now nine. Yeah, his numbers this season, when you consider he's missed some time, are nuts. Yeah, uh, catching 79% of his targets. So um, from a macro view, the Packers, with Seattle losing and the Bucks losing, the Packers coming off that loss to the Vikings right back in the thick of this uh, number one seed battle. Don't forget they have the tiebreaker over the Saints as well. So the NFC race is heating up. Packers took care of business Thursday night against the 49ers. Let's get to the Sunday action. We're going to start in Buffalo. Seattle Seahawks at the Buffalo Bills. You sent me the quote after the game about Pete Carroll. Yes. He, uh, what was the Pete Carroll quote? What was his? Uh, well, I mean, don't have to scroll I'm, back I'm putting you on it. the spot. But well, essentially. No, I want to find the actual tweet because I think, or the actual quote, because I think it's worth putting out. Okay. So this was a tweet from somebody. Uh, Pete Carroll said he wasn't expecting the Bills to completely abandon their run game. We had a real nice plan for the Bills' run game. Uh, instead, Josh Allen just picked apart the Seattle secondary. Um, that feels like an error in judgment if you're Pete Carroll and the Seahawks. Because like, even forget about yesterday, right? Heading into yesterday, the Bills were only 18th in the NFL in terms of like run percentage. It's not like this is a run-every-down team, and that's with Josh Allen at quarterback adding you know, run elements that other teams don't have. Like This is not a particularly run-heavy team, and you went into the game essentially like sell out against the run, forget the pass game. That feels like a problem. Is this that – because the, the previous week, Buffalo did run the ball really well sure. against the Patriots in a game – where last week was weather week, right? We had wind all over the country. We had precipitation. The, the previous week was a weather game yes. against the Patriots. Did they focus too much on what they saw last week, which was a run-first Bills attack, and, and just say, okay, we got we to stop that first? Um, this was really nice conditions for November in Buffalo, mm-hmm. nice passing conditions. And I just want to give credit to the Bills. We have talked a little bit the last couple of years how they have put – Josh Allen in position to succeed and when you go up against a team that's looking to stop the run and you just keep passing and passing and passing that is putting your third year quarterback in position to succeed and Allen just executed beautifully spreading the ball around there overall they dropped back 45 times Um, he also had a a quiet seven sacks Josh Allen sacked seven times and he had seven incompletions you don't see that very often that's crazy they also Um, didn't they, it was some bizarre stat that he only lost like 26 yards in those seven sacks. Yeah, it wasn't how it was they were. Seven for 29. That was it. Um, so they dropped back a ton. Running backs only had 11 carries in this game. There was a point where it was like 40 to four dropbacks versus carries. And I love this. It's not about, you know, the analytics aren't about just like drop back and pass every single time, I don't think. Um, <laughs> some might argue that. Uh, but I still think it's about taking what the defense gives. Right, And Seattle came in to this game with the number one run defense grade for PFF. So his, this is what I was saying the Titans should have done a couple weeks ago against the Steelers. When, mm-hmm. you, when you have this defensive front, you put it in your quarterback's hands and you just you chuck it around the yard and you just attack weaknesses. Right, You don't have to, you don't have to establish the run. You don't have to establish your identity. You don't have to you know, feel good about the game plan that you created to, you know, to, to create balance on offense or anything. You just attack weaknesses. And that's what Buffalo did extremely well against Seattle. 
Yeah. Um, it also helped that you had the first bad Russell Wilson game in like two years. Yeah, um, this was Chef Russell was serving up like salmonella and chips instead of whatever it is he's been serving up Michelin star meals so far this season. Keep the food metaphors coming, Sam. Got him. They never Got get him. old. Got a list. Yeah, he uh, he missed on a few throws early. Turnover worthy plays, including you know fumbles in the pocket, multiple fumbles in the pocket. Uh, first interception was on fourth down. You know, he, he just had to chuck it up. wasn't great either way, but he had to chuck it up. But and then the second you know second interception. Uh, a poor misread it is funny too he still ends up with 390 yards and two touchdowns oh, yeah. that david moore 50 yard bomb late but this was one of those and some perfect passes in there like the thing that he dropped into dk metcalf you know early in the game against tredevious white which by the way was an insane play from both ends yeah like the dk metcalf thing this that was the that was the play that highlighted what we said going into that game right which is tredevious white can be a great corner but at some point you weigh whatever 40 pounds less than that guy and he can run faster than you and you're just going to get there's no way you can actually stop that and on that play Tredavious White jammed him and he ran through the coverage like he just went through him it's like what can you do against that he's he's sort of reminding me of like T.O. but without the drops right like at some point T.O. was fast but well, D.K. has the drops too but I mean, not as many like you know, T.O. yeah my point is, he's so strong in a way that you just don't see from most even physically overwhelming receivers, right? Most of those guys just don't have that brute strength that you cannot match up with. Uh, do you like – how fast was T.O.? I was trying to look it up. Because he four never five flat-ish, I think. He never felt – yeah, four four five is what the, the Google machine's yeah. telling me. Because DK's got that straight line speed plus I mean, make, the yeah, strength. DK's faster than T.O., but like T.O. was fast for a huge guy, which is the point, right? Like he's fast enough to be sure. a fast receiver, but in addition to that, he was so much stronger than you were, and that's what made him such a nightmare. Did you guys have the Bud Bowl over in Ireland? The Bud Bowl? Back no. in like the early 90s Super Bowl commercials. No, I don't think they had so. Budweiser versus Bud Light. No. It was this annual thing, okay. and like four of our listeners are going to remember it. Sweet. But there was one point Let's they pulled out the secret, it. the the Budweiser secret weapon just came in, and they, Bud Light couldn't stop him. Yeah, that's DK. Okay, I, you got to look it up on YouTube. The Bud Bolt, like the secret weapon, rolls in in like 1993, the fourth year they ran this thing, and it was this monster Budweiser that nobody could stop. Bud Bowl four or five or what? It was it was awesome. <laughs> I watched the Super Bowl as a kid just to watch the Bud Bowl. Um, that's DK. Um, they were stopped, but. You know, they lost to the Bills, but DK's still uh, pretty tough <laughs> to slow down. Uh, this is, is this the game that makes Pete Carroll uncomfortable, though? Again, because they didn't they right. put the ball in Russ's hands. You know, they, they weren't running the ball like crazy. He dropped back, you know, almost 50 times as well. Um, but this is one of those games where, yeah, there's some good. He's going to, he's turning it over. He's taking hits, got sacked five times. Like I said, a couple times putting the ball on the ground. Is, is this the game through the years? that made them uncomfortable relying on Russell Wilson. It certainly can't help. Um, the fact that they also coughed up 40 on the other side of the ball might save Russell Wilson's blushes a little bit. You know what I mean? No, but but this is the perception thing, right? They scored 34. Some of it was late, whatever. Yeah. But, that's the, but the perception is because we passed so much, the defense had the pressure on them, right? We, we just kept putting the defense in and 
you know, disadvantageous, disadvantageous position. And they did actually for the, with the turnovers. It was, their defense wasn't as bad as 44 would indicate. No. They were as bad as Josh Allen going 31 for 38 for 415, though, you know, which included, you know, like 25-yard screen passes on third and 19. I mean, there was some bad stuff in there. Uh, good for Buffalo, bad for Seattle uh, as far as Seattle's defense. Goes. Right, but they were in a hole early. Like they went fourteen nothing down on the first two drives, right? True. Like yes. They. You know, it's not like, it's not like this was a relatively close game, and then Russell Wilson dug them a hole, uh, in which uh, dug them a hole that he was unable to dig them out of. Right. It was like they were get their defense was never stopping Buffalo, and Russell Wilson was unable to keep pace. I don't think a switch from Russell Wilson cooking up diseased meals to just running the ball all day would have done any better. Do you? Diseased meals. Well, I mean, yeah. No. Some bad plays in there. Um, at which point, I don't. it would be harsh as hell to come out of this game and be like, yeah, Russ was the problem. No, I agree. I mean, it's, look, see, as I'm watching this game, I'm thinking. Particularly when you come out with a quote like, dude, we, we were all set to stop the run game, and then just, they just passed all day on us. I don't know what to tell you. Just never go into a game thinking that. I wish they, they – it's one of those ones that looks really bad on paper, and I'm like I, – I, I meant last night to go and find the video to get the full context, and they showed it, I think, on uh, Football Night in America, and I, I was eating, so I didn't – I couldn't unmute and watch. But Good I, story. Thanks. I'm just saying uh, that's the level of – You, you posed a here. question off air before we got on here and said, look, do – we always talk about the analytics saying, if you're an underdog, you should go for it more. Maybe, you know, play the underdog role. Do coaches feel that? Do they understand that? Do coaches, when they're game planning, do they anticipate, do they have enough self-awareness of their own strengths and weaknesses that they can anticipate what the other team's going to do? So if, if Pete right. Carroll is going in saying, we're going to stop the run like crazy here, does he know, not, not that he knows his PFF rank in run defense grade, but does he know that the strength of his team is stopping the run compared to stopping the pass. Therefore, other teams might just say, I'm not going to, you know, hammer my head against a brick wall over well, and over again. They had, like, cornerbacks missing and stuff as well. Like, I mean, not only are you bad doing that anyway, but you also had, like, missing players at that. Like, everything was pointing to the idea that they were probably going to pass. Um, I think they probably do. The Where that becomes interesting, I think, is not, are you aware that this is what you're probably baiting a team into? It's, um, it's when does it become the sort of double bluff, right? Like that idea of Tampa Bay's blitz heading into a team. You know, you put all your blitzes on tape last week because you blitz a living crap out of Green Bay and it worked. Then next week, it should the I think the Raiders were the team they were facing next. Like, should they then be anticipating the same level of blitz? Or do you anticipate them going completely the other way to, like, fake you out, you know? Because right. obviously that's what you do now. Like, when does it become, all right, this is what they do. This week is what they're going to be. Like, when does it become a, a fancy fake-out double bluff thing versus just this is what's going to happen? Buffalo did tap into the same thing Arizona did a few weeks ago. Uh, it was a little bit later in the game, but they showed the zero blitz, dropped out, kind of fooled um, Russ just a little bit. So was the, theme, the theme of this week seemed to be, like, there are no – elite teams not that there are no elite teams there's no best team in the nfl every team is going to have a game where they look like they don't belong as the best team in the nfl i think that's the and nature this of the week we had a bunch of them it's the nature of the nfl though i mean it is as they say they're all professionals they're all getting paid sometimes you have some tough games so uh credit to the bills and uh josh allen Aha! anything you want to say about his 
Yes. Performance. Josh Allen was elite again. I have therefore have been vindicated for signing the apology form. You haven't been because you didn't. So bring the form back. Just bring it back. See right. what happens. Go find your own form. I signed mine. You ripped we yours up. Just, we'll keep it here for the rest of the for, – forever. forever. And at some point when he turns the corner, I'll apologize. <laughs> no, he was awesome. He was great in this game. When you again, when you when you have a high volume passing game like this, I, I know he got sacked seven times, but high volume passing a game where he can distribute it, uh, throw the ball accurately. Stephon Diggs had nine catches. John Brown had eight. John Brown's back. You know, making that offense he look makes good. Such a difference. Is he the offense. missing piece there? Is it? I mean, listen. Also, realistically, I talk I talk about weather and domes a lot here, but it is. I mean, Josh Allen's accuracy against Kansas City in the rain a few weeks back, and last week in the rain in the wind against the Patriots that is a factor you got these really nice conditions in Buffalo plus John Brown back that does make a difference in the offense it's been built off like four elite games and then the rest not but that puts Josh Allen back at number five in terms of PFF passing grade for the season yeah he's up there he's doing well so great job by Josh Allen by the Bills and uh they still have a commanding lead in the AFC East but look Miami knocking at the door or at least hanging hanging tough yeah in that division let's go right to the sunday night football game Ugh. the saints at the bucks got this one wrong yeah i think everybody did i mean I even everybody but this is like everybody's looking at the momentum right the saints feel like they they've underachieved this year the bucks maybe maybe people's expectations for the bucks because you didn't really know what you're going to get from brady this year and the bucks haven't really been good historically and they're playing well but this was a remind. This was a statement game times ten. It was, Saints. and even on the pregame live show that we have here on on the YouTube channel, if you're watching there, and on the YouTube channel, if you're not watching, you're just listening. That's where it is. Um, George said something like, "You know, I can see a way that it's probably we thought it, everyone thought it would be a close, good game, right?" But he was saying that I can see a way that Tampa Bay blows out New Orleans. I can't see the reverse happening. Like even if you thought it was going to go differently to the way you expected it to go. You calling George out? I'm just saying, no, I'm saying everybody well, got this thing. wrong. I, I thought Tampa Bay like, had a chance to if, blow them out. Yeah, if it was going to go one way outside of the good game that I think everybody expected it to be, it was going to go the other way because Drew Brees was the quarterback that had looked shaky at times, and yet everything went in the opposite direction. And we were talking about before, again, before we came on air, like what do you even – can you take anything out of a game like this because – it became so absurd in terms of every bounce of the ball breaking New Orleans' way. And I was thinking about that. I just started writing down some of the crazy things that happened in the game that completely shifted everything. So early, um, you've got New Orleans driving right at the start, as, as was going to be the case every single time they took the ball. Basically a pass thrown straight to JPP, right? He drops into coverage. He's covering Alvin Kamara one-on-one. Kamara shakes him like he's not even there. And then Drew Brees basically threw the ball right to him. And, you know, JPP didn't catch it for whatever reason. <laughs> then Tom Brady's first interception, batted screen. Like, that's just unlucky. That, you can't legislate for that. That happens sometimes. Second interception, some kind of miscommunication with Antonio Brown is only just in the building. It was going to be, I think, a, a pretty tight window anyway, but... You know, it, it ended up being a ball. Looked straight. way worse than it. I mean, it was a ball been. thrown straight yeah. to New Orleans as opposed to a con, you know a contested catch into right. a tight window. Um, Gronk drops a touchdown. Doesn't ever happen. They the Bucks jump offside on third and one that extends a New Orleans drive. Taysom Hill drops a snap that was low and ugly. 
picks it up and then finds like a wide open tight end across the middle who rumbles for 40 yards. Um, like the Bucks defense was just having these incessant complete breakdowns, whether it's a, a coverage bust from Jamel Dean, Levante David multiple occasions is like shouting at people at the snap because yeah. something has gone wrong in terms of alignment, in terms of where everybody is. There was at least one time on a run. And right, another and one including on the, in a the touchdown where right. he's like looking inside, shouting at other people, and then the ball snapped and a guy just runs across his face and scores. Like everything in this game was just bouncing away from uh, Tampa Bay and just it, it made a bad game, a blowout, a beatdown into just a train wreck. And I it became so absurd that I don't know what you take out of that game, other than the fact that, like, this was the New Orleans that we expected. This was the Super Bowl the caliber right. Saints, right? So 38-3 to was the win, was the, the final. Uh, just looking at what you mentioned, if JPP dropped, you know, catches that interception early on, if Gronk catches that touchdown, just those two plays alone make it 31-10, to which makes it a beatdown, but Not less, yeah. you know, less talk radio-y this week. Right. And, and you, you know, Brady stat line with three picks. You get the batted pass, the miscommunication in there. This wasn't, it was one of his worst statistical games. It wasn't his worst game playing football, but it was the Saints were in control defensively. And, you know, I think people might point to Antonio Brown too. And I think there might be something to that offensively for the Bucs. Are you forcing the ball to your new guy to make him happy? This was the question. I didn't think there was much downside to Antonio Brown. Hmm. Is this part of the downside to Antonio Brown? When you have these other guys to throw to, you're forcing some to him. You got the miscommunication for the pick. I know he's good, but man, this just – an offense that was moving the ball so well this season, and this was a disaster for the Bucs. I don't, I don't think Antonio Brown was a factor beyond the miscommunication interception. I, I don't think that they messed up the offense because they were trying to feed him the football. I think they probably were trying to feed him the football, but I don't think that screwed it up. I think you saw a few things. One, you saw a bunch of balls bounce in the opposite direction, and suddenly you're in a you're buried twenty eight nothing down. And from right. that point, you're almost when you're twenty eight nothing down, the game is like done in terms of like a, a, a regular contest. Now you're just trying to get something going and see if you can execute some form of comeback. And even that went to hell. So I don't think very early on this this game became an exercise in not a normal offense for Tampa Bay, at which point it's difficult to compare it to the normal offenses they've had. Then the other thing you saw is Tampa Bay have had this incredibly consistent, stable offensive line all right. season long that has protected Brady perfectly. Um, Ali Marpet didn't play. Joe Haig comes in, plays like a train wreck, and suddenly for the first time this season, Brady's dealing with an offensive line that didn't protect him. And I think Brady, this Brady, the one weakness in Brady's game now that he's like 127 years old is not that he can't make throws. It's not that he looks, you know, old in the way that Breeze does. It's that if he doesn't have protection, he looks a little bit ropey now. It's like Philip Rivers, right? Only a, a less extreme version. When the protection breaks down, that's when Brady starts to look really rough, and the protection really broke down against uh, the Saints. So I think that caused pretty much everything to go to hell quite quickly, that Brady didn't have protection. There was a sequence where, like, Hendricks, Trey Hendrickson sacked him, like, five times in a row. <laughs> right. Brady, Won at, at no point in that real. drive, had any shot, right? Yeah. He was just getting buried, trying to escape from the pocket. 
Like, he's never been the most mobile guy in the first place. Like, even now, it just doesn't navigate the pocket as quickly and as decisively. And then when he does, like, I know that it was fourth down, but, like, what the hell was that? Like, yeah. you you don't have the physical ability anymore to, just to make anything yeah. out of that. So the I thought Chris did a good job breaking it down, too. So Trey Hendrickson dominated. He was great. He had three sacks. One was negated. Um, so I think two official so they were getting some pressure, but Chris had highlighted too that they were just taking away that first read. They were just making Brady hold the ball a tick longer than usual too, and that was letting the rush get home. So as far as the Saints' coverage, their back seven working well with their front seven, that was just fantastic work by the Saints across the board. And then Breeze was, outside of the JPP throw, was just really good, distributing the ball left and right. I got to bring it up again, though, because we keep it sounds like this. It sounds like we're just playing the game on Excel, right? On our spreadsheet where it's like, wouldn't you just play press coverage? Wouldn't you just take away the short stuff against the Saints and force Breeze to throw the ball yeah. 10, 15 yards, 20 yards down the field, which, you know, he's he's still capable of making those throws and throwing with anticipation and accuracy and all that stuff. But at least give him lower percentage opportunities. And the Bucks still felt like they were playing a little bit soft and the underneath stuff was was there left and right for the Saints last night. They I yeah, so first of all, let me just finish off the Tom Brady side of this or the Bucks offense side of this. Um I do think that if there's an issue with this offense, it's that they aren't really set up to negate problems in terms of pass protection with quick passes. You know, this right. one of one of the things about this Bruce Arians offense, deep down the field, aggressive, you know, the, the vertical system, it doesn't really have that secondary, you know, outlet, the underneath thing that if you are suddenly under pressure in two, two seconds, there kind of isn't anywhere to go with the ball. Well, look, here's, so you posted a stat the other day on checkdowns, right? Yes. And Brady is one of the highest in yes, the league, right? Because that's the only place to go. So your this, only is, outlet. this is the answer, right? So. For years, you know, the people that joke about Brady, oh, he's a checkdown guy, right? Like he was never a checkdown quarterback. Just short, yeah. right? They had they had shorter route concepts, mm -hmm. and he'd get the ball out of his hands and put it on somebody and let them catch and run, right? Which is different from a checkdown. The Bruce Arians offense is go deep to short, yeah. and your outlet is a is an actual checkdown. Now Brady has incorporated some quick game stuff in there, but that's usually the answer to not just pressure but the blitz, especially, right? right? And that, that's the thing that we've talked about on the podcast this year with this offense. Are they too dependent? Brady's at, at been like three or four big-time throws per game. Mm -hmm. Are they too reliant on those plays? One deep ball to Scotty Miller and the deep over yeah. routes. And are they too reliant on chunk plays, which are great. You need those. But to the detriment of the ability to win in any way, which is the short pass game as well. I don't think they're too reliant on them until a team comes in and shows that they can wreck your pass protection. Now, when the pass protection breaks down, it's not that you're too reliant on it. It's that you don't have the ability to offset that with a quick with quick game outlets. So what you do is, I don't have time anymore to get the big play off. So my option is take the sack or dump it off to Lenny out of the backfield. Like, that's it. That's all Brady's got. I mean, you saw that in the game. Like, there was, they're buried by like four scores trying to like come back. And he's just dumping the ball off to the running back in the flat. And you're like... What is he doing? Because the alternative is to hang in the pocket longer than he knows he can get away with, waiting for one of the deeper passes to uncover. Like, it, it, this offense just isn't set up to deal with that, right? And most of the yeah. season, it hasn't had to. The question will be, 
if other teams are able to do that when they have the five starting offensive linemen there, if the Saints are even able to do that with the five offensive linemen there, or if even when they have their full complement, like the five, one of the best offensive lines in the NFL, if there is still a way to knock them off that passing game. The fact that they added Leonard Fournette before the season, in, whose skill set wise similar to Ronald Jones, you know, little sketchy catching the ball, downhill type of runner, whatever. They didn't add a pass catching running back. Like if you were trying to complete this offense, like if they could somehow steal a James, like a Rex Burkhead from he, New England, yeah. Brady's buddy. But even if they did, like I'm not saying that changes the game last night. I'm just saying with how much Brady is still throwing to the backs, despite yeah. the receivers and tight ends that he has, it would be nice. You want somebody that can right. make somebody miss, not a Fournette. But it wouldn't solve this problem. No, I get it. Um, I'm just saying that would be that's something that this offense is missing as well. But look, from a Saints perspective. How much you said you don't want to put too much stock in this, but this was it's the second half of the year. Michael Thomas is back, Emmanuel Sanders, like they've got the full the full group of their playmakers now. Should we be viewing the Saints like we were coming into the season that they are the team in the NFC? The bigger statement for me was the defense. Like this is the first time this season that what we thought was a Super Bowl championship caliber defense actually showed up and looked like it. Like the Saints defense this season has kind of been crappy. Um, but it looked really good. It caused Tom Brady all, all those problems. Um, the Drew Brees is actually really fun to watch right now, but in a weird way. Like, you know, Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes are fun to watch, but for very different reasons. Drew Brees is fun to watch because, like, his arm is so bad, but he's so good at everything else. He's, you know, er, the bad Drew Brees games have come where the anticipation and the accuracy is just a, a little bit off. I think what we're seeing, the difference between great game Drew Brees and bad game Drew Brees even an even bad game Drew Brees like the Saints offense still puts up points but I think the difference between the two of them is his arm strength means that he is now walking a razor's edge every single week in terms of margin of error there just isn't any right because that, that's what arm strength does for you it buys you margin of error and Drew Brees has no arm strength so he has no margin for error and what'll help that is adding a Michael Thomas and an Emmanuel Sanders and guys that can actually make plays at the catch point for you and are ultra reliable in terms of where they're going to be at any given point. It allows Drew Brees to believe in his accuracy and anticipation and put the ball exactly where it needs to be. And like, you know, I messaged you at some point last night where like there's like a 10-yard crosser from Drew Brees looks like somebody else heaving like a 50-yard post. But he gets it just the over the linebacker. Yeah, it's like right? he's putting his life force into these things to like launch it as this rainbow into just a gap in coverage. But he's able to do that because he knows he's so good at all of the mental aspects of playing the game. And when he gets that right, it's just fun to watch because nobody else does this. Like this is a genuinely unique way of playing quarterback that I don't know if we've ever seen this before because no one has had this extreme difference between like physical tools that are remaining. And I mean, it was what Peyton was trying in 2015. He just couldn't execute it. I mean, the closest thing was probably Peyton in 2014 where the arms started to go. Yeah. And he still threw for 39 touchdowns. And that was, that was the first year he graded at like 80 from a PFF standpoint, but he put up 90 plus type of numbers. Right. He put up elite numbers and we're like, ah, the decline's kind of starting for Peyton here. So anyway, Saints, statement game. And uh, yeah, I mean, they're controlling the NFC South. I asked you this yesterday and I gave a kind of sketchy answer just then. Do you have an answer for what, it, what produces the difference between really good Drew Brees games 
and iffy Drew Brees games where he, where obviously he's not changing physically week to week, right? So given his status of weak arm, fantastic anticipation, fantastic accuracy, what's the difference between average Drew Brees and good Drew Brees right now? I mean, I, I go back to like how when, when Brees, Rodgers, Brady, Peyton, or say Mahomes are at their best, how do you even stop them? Right. And I thought it was interesting, again, going back to what Chris said last night, the Saints game plan was like, well, you're not going to fool Tom Brady, but you can maybe just make him hold it a tick longer. I think with Breeze, he's so good at processing and his, you know, his eyes, he just, his eyes just see everything and he moves so quickly. But when you create just a touch of hesitation there, however you do that, I think that's when he's off a little bit, right? So when, when you just create a little bit of hesitation and honestly, it's, so it's it's a lot of like unforced errors, right? So like when when the elite Rogers Brady Breeze have bad games through the years, I don't even know if you point to what the defense did so much as they had an off day, and right. so I don't know how you prepare for that. So with Breeze, I think a lot of it's like, you know what, I am going to try to throw this deep post, you know, and that and it doesn't work, you know, it doesn't get there. I think a lot of it is what he's trying to do, and that's what we saw early in the season where he was a little hesitant and a tick off, but I feel like that was more on him than it was anything the defense did. The last thing I think that's worth bringing up in this game is that I think the Bucks kind of made a balls of the defensive game plan. Um, when we were saying the most interesting thing from their defensive point of view heading into this game was you were going to be able, like you can play some pretty aggressive man coverage and essentially see if Drew Brees has the arm to beat that, right? Tight windows, you're, you're making, again, margin for error really small. You're making life really difficult for him if you play that aggressive man coverage. And they didn't. They, they went the other way. They went zone heavy and basically just gave him the opportunity to pick it apart. I would say that's the one thing that he's best suited yeah, for Yeah, there are right holes now. everywhere yeah. in those zones, right? But he's like, I, I mean, again, it's Drew Brees. He's a, an all-time great. He knows how to beat man or zone, right? But if you're going to give him one, like if you're going to say, right, given what I know about him right now, which makes his life more difficult, tight man coverage or zones that give me eyes on him but give him a window to hit, right? I would say you're better off playing the man coverage thing and forcing him to hit tight windows more consistently. And they instead decided to try and keep eyes on him, and it just didn't work. And the Bucks have the horses at corner yes. to do that, to beat people up at the line of scrimmage. And right. we talked about, like, you need to create hesitation in Drew Brees. No better way to create hesitation than to press and, you know, knock receivers off their route and everything. But also credit, you know, Sean Payton, too. They just – they had answers for everything, even with the run game stuff. Um, you know, finding holes. Uh, they're just – they're running the ball or throwing the ball where the defense is not. How's that for simple – there's offense right there. The Saints – that's how they're that's how they did it last night and then when they incorporated Taysom Hill that was effective too whether he was throwing the ball or running it it was all effective a dominant outing for the Saints but maybe not as bad as the perception is going to be here on Monday morning well so the best way of like pointing that out we went, we already went through like the plays that essentially bounced each way like just in terms of passer rating right Brady is going to Brady came out of that with a 40 passer rating and Drew Brees came out of that with a 135 passer rating they're going to be separated by like 10 to 15 PFF grading points. Yeah. Like it's a lot closer than the passer rating would suggest. And right. I think when you run through all those plays, like, you know, Brady had three interceptions. I don't know that you could say that more than one of them was really on him. 
Um, and Drew Brees had the ball that could have easily been intercepted, wasn't. So immediately and the next you play can, is a busted coverage. Right. Immediately touchdown. you can bring them much closer together in passer rating just by accounting fairly for where the ball ended up. I don't want to spend all day on this show, but like, <laughs> I don't know if it was Chris or Al too that just said, is this just a bad matchup for the right. Bucs? Are the Saints just, I mean, it's, it's a bad team to not be able to match up against the team that you have to beat right. in the NFC South. But the Bucks destroyed the Packers. The Packers beat the Saints. Yep. And the Saints have, they beat the Bucs in week one, but then they demoralized them here in week nine. Yeah. Is it just a bad matchup? Or is it, does it speak to, you know, when you got Sean Payton against Bruce Arians, like there's a, the, the coaching staff for the for the Saints are just, you know, they're more prepared as well. I mean, I think fundamentally, in addition to everything breaking whatever way, the Bucks were definitely outcoached on both sides of the ball. Yeah. Like their offense had <clears throat> their offense had no answer for the idea that what happens if we suddenly become under pressure a lot? Like it literally doesn't exist in the offense. Like the answer to that is either hold like either hold desperately in the pocket Cam Newton style and try and heave the ball downfield anyway while you're getting buried or dump it off to the running back in the flat and when you're 28 nothing down you're not coming back doing that right and then defensively they went zone heavy and drew Brees just picked the zone to pieces so on both sides of the ball they got completely outcoached in this game so that even if all those breaks of the ball bounced their way they were losing right like, there's no way that just the way the coaching set up on either side they were losing this game even if they'd gotten lucky and the bounces had gone their way instead of new orleans Let's get to some other football games sure. from yesterday. Carolina Panthers playing tough against the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> when you're the Chiefs, right, and you've, you know, this the next dynasty and all that stuff, right, you just expect them to pull away at some point, right? There's a lot of games. Like, the best teams in the NFL play a lot of games where underdog keeps it close, keeps it close. But, yeah, you eventually you pull away. You win by two touchdowns. Carolina kept it close all the way through and actually had a chance you know, for a game-winning drive before Teddy started checking down four straight times. Yeah. Um, it was funny because they, they put them in a hole early. Um, and I, Panthers put yes. the Chiefs in a hole. Correct. Yes. Double-digit point differential. Can and you're like, pronouns. is there a team that you would less rather put in a double-digit hole than the Kansas City Chiefs? Oh, stop it, Sam. Seriously. I would Guys, not... the game plan this week, don't score. I would not So the Bucks to... game plan last night. I would not want to lead against the Chiefs by double-digit points early in the game. Late in the game, fine, great. Early in the game, I would—that's the—I do not want to put this team in a position where they're like, "Oh, sweet, passing all day to come back from this." And that's exactly what happened, right? They rolled back and looked like they were going to steam into the lead and you know, and romp away. And then the Panthers like kept them honest and and brought it back and made it close, but. Like the last, like this offense is at its happiest when you remove the shackles of like a conventional game flow situation that like, hey, this is how you should play offense. We're going to run the ball a little bit. We're going to, you know, do the things that you're supposed to do. If you get them to, to throw off those chains and say, ah, all bets are off. We're down big. We need to come back and just like run, like hurry up offense, two minute drill all game long. There, you cannot stop them. They are like completely unstoppable in that scenario. And the Panthers basically put them in that hole early. And that's what you saw. But the, the interesting thing was that they did manage to like prevent them just rolling away with it once they took the lead. So, that, so you get the Chiefs. We talked about the, the Bills not running the ball. The Chiefs had Clyde Edwards Alaire with five carries for 14, Le'Veon Bell with four for eight, plus a negative five yard catch. 
So Le'Veon had five touches for three yards. Which is pretty close to what he did last week, where it was like six for seven or seven for six or something. Chiefs offense transformed by Le'Veon. Did you see the play where they put Patrick Mahomes in motion? Yeah, I was going to ask you that too. I mean, that was the touchdown pass. So they're using quarterback motion now. Yes. They kind of like, they kind of, it was, it was like a fake Philly special. Cause yeah. as soon as the, as soon well, as the Q, QB starts walking around and talking, it's like alert, alert, Philly, you know, Philly special, everybody's alerting. Then Mahomes sprints back to the shotgun yeah. position, takes the snap and then rolls back to where he was going to. But not just that. So it was a fake Philly special, but also a fake like QB power play to the left. Yeah. He fake roll. Cause it, he like takes yeah. it in motion going to the left. They look like they're running like a QB sweep to that direction. Then he just reverses track and throws it to a wide open guy who's peeled off the back of the end zone. Now there was so much misdirection. On that yeah. Play. So for Kansas City to do that is just nuts, right? It's unfair. <laughs> it's great. Like you got teams out there just running up, like or drawing up basic, uh, you know, plays trying to get anything going, and you've got the Chiefs with this madness that's just uncoverable. They're doing that with Patrick Mahomes. Can you imagine how much of a nightmare that is if you're looking at, say, Lamar Jackson or Kyler Murray as the quarterback? Suddenly, Lamar is in motion, jet motion at the snap, and you don't know if he's going right, left, or wherever. Kyler Murray, the same thing. Like, that's, that's enough of a nightmare when it's Mahomes. But I wonder if the Chiefs just gave a couple of other offenses some really well, interesting you, ideas. For the, for the Ravens to make that work, you get Trace McSorley in there at running back next to Lamar. You, you direct snap it to the back as Lamar is motioning out to the flat. Yeah. I don't think you, you even need to add the extra quarterback. Just the concept. Well, you have to snap it to somebody. The quarterback. But he's motioned, uh, he's motioned out. He wasn't. No, no. You just put him in motion at the snap. Yeah, I mean, he motioned out and then came back. So yeah, put him in motion. So just you're, so you're saying just give him, like, you're running like a jet sweep to your yes, quarterback. to the quarterback. Yeah. And now you have to not only worry about, hey, Lamar Jackson's the best athlete in the field. He can beat us to the edge anyway. Now he's in motion at the time, and he can go in either direction. My whole thing is I don't want my center trying to snap it to a moving target all that often. No, but he's just snapping. Like, it, it happens with, like, regular jet motion where you're snapping it to the – yeah. That guy's just snapping the ball, right? In theory, it should be going to the, the, the regular place anyway. It's on the quarterback to, to have the timing down. My point is that is just an absolute freaking nightmare for a defense to yeah. have to deal with. It's bad enough when it's Patrick Mahomes, who's just like regular athletic. If you do that with a quarterback that's freaky athletic, I don't know how you deal with that as a defense. Hey, guys. Life is full of questions. Like, what would happen to my family if something happened to me? Am I saving enough for retirement? And is now the right time to start thinking about life insurance, just to name a few. No one should have to settle for answers to these life-altering questions that involve gray areas or leaving things to chance. And with Western and Southern, you won't have to. Backed by over 130 years of experience gathering insights, building strategies, and helping customers choose the right solutions, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser products issued by member companies of Western and Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, I just want to give the Panthers a ton of credit here. I think the story of this entire season is just going to be how competitive they have been. And boy, are they playing a tough schedule. Yeah. Uh, they, were, they play the Saints, the Chiefs, the Bucks. I mean, they were just playing all good teams left and right. Uh, but this was offense. Christian McCaffrey came back. 
And it was just a really good off offensive outing for the Panthers. And what we talked about on the show previously, if you're just feeding McCaffrey, you know, you're not getting the most out of him as a part of your offense. But when Curtis Samuel catching a tap pass for 28 for, for a touchdown, he had a great catch on a deep over route. So you have Curtis Samuel, you have Robbie Anderson, who's, again, become a high-volume, you know, effective receiver. DJ Moore didn't do a ton, but you have those three guys, plus McCaffrey gets his 10 catches for 82, including some downfield stuff and a touchdown. That is the way to distribute offense. This is – the Panthers are – this game is a lot of, like, what we thought they were going to be coming into the season, a competitive offense where Bridgewater can spread the ball around and then a defense that's going to have a tough time stopping people. But, man, they really hung, hung tough with a good Chiefs team. And this was a clean McCaffrey game. Like, I know he went, you know, captain check down, but he didn't force those horrible turnover-worthy plays that he's had for a lot of this season. Bridgewater? Like, yeah. Clean Bridgewater? Clean Bridgewater. Yeah, he's yeah. had um, – he's got, like, a top seven, I think, turnover-worthy play rate this season, like 4%, something like that. It's, it's like one spot below Nick Foles yeah. this year. Um, and that's been one of their problems, right? Like, he's been more aggressive, but it's come at a big cost. This game, he didn't have the, the mistakes. Mahomes played a really good game, 372 yards, had his four touchdowns. And uh, the Chiefs' schedule gets easier and easier, and I think Mahomes is going to be, you know, continue to, continuing to look good. Number four quarterback coming into the week. Uh, played a really good game. My one thing, when the MVP stuff comes out this week, my one thing with Mahomes, please just don't cite the 25 touchdowns and one interception. That's all I'm asking. Please don't be like, well, I saw the box score. Look. Mahomes has 25 touchdowns and one pick. Just really quick. He's got the the best interception luck in the NFL so far. 10 turn, turnover-worthy plays. Just has that one interception. And he has a league-high six touchdowns on screens. If you're going to entertain the stupidity that is the MVP conversation, you're going to have to deal with some just saying, That's what everybody's going to talk about this week. Russ lost it. Brady never should have been there. Mahomes is back in the conversation. Look, Mahomes, of course, is in the conversation, but it's because he's playing well, not because of 26 plays, 25 of which were touchdowns, one was an interception. That's not why he's in the MVP race, okay? Anyhow. That's all I'm asking. That's what I'm begging this mm -hmm. week. Good luck with that. Let's go to Indianapolis. Baltimore Ravens at the Indianapolis Colts. A defensive struggle in this game. And this game came down to Marcus Peters making plays, first off. Ish. Making one and a half plays. Yes. <laughs> a forced fumble turns into a fumble recovery for a touchdown for Chuck Clark. But you also featured the single most, the single least athletic thing I've ever seen a human being do. Did you see Philip Rivers on the, the fumble return? I, wasn't, I didn't see Philip. No. So, Philip on the interception or on the fumble return. Lay off, Philip. He's our age. What's he going to do? Well, I, I honestly think you'd have done a better job. If for no other reason than you have a larger frame and might have actually tripped him up. Didn't you see me play basketball at the I Y? I did. And yet, despite that, this is how bad this was, right? Rivers, trying to get, you know, last man back, save the touchdown, just falls over, right? Just like face plants as he's running back. And then, but because he was running back in the general right direction, was still in the way, right? So Chuck has to like hurdle the flailing prone body of Philip lying on the ground who literally was just like swiping arms at him to hope he trips him up as he leaps over the top of him. Only because you're six whatever and you're a very large human being, I think you might have you might have made contact and the tripped him up. The flailing arms could have The flailing arms would have had a larger wingspan and might have actually tripped Chuck up. Man, 
that's i mean that was a rough that was you know when you like the you find the gray hair you notice the hairline receding you're lying on the ground to somebody who you clean over the top of you fumble recovery yeah. and flail you that just, was one of those moments that you like you wake up and you're like wow i'm getting old it wasn't the nine kids or nope, anything like that that but, was it right there that okay. that's that's a moment so rivers for filling what i mean other than that what an odd game it was essentially there's that play marcus peters has an interception <laughs> later air quotes i couldn't believe on the broadcast they're like yeah of course made a football move yeah what did he where des had the ball for like two and a half seconds more than mark you know <laughs> marcus peters had des is you know not in this game but i mean they have changed the rule ago. but it is amazing when you look at the stuff that's being given now versus like Calvin Johnson catches the ball, does a little spin, gets up, and then loses it on the yeah. way up. And it's so like, no, nope. no. Got to complete it. Dez catches it, hits the ground. No. It's still not as bad as old games. You know, you and I have watched a lot of, like, old games, you know, during the offseason and stuff like that, right? You, how many times do you see, like, receiver catches it, yeah, gets it, hit immediately, they're like, yep, fumble. Right. That's a catch and fumble. Like, but that it, wouldn't even come close. <laughs> but it is just amazing some now. of the stuff that's given now versus that. I, to be fair, I think it's better now. Like this, that being given is better than the Dez slash Calvin Johnson not. I mean, being there given. there's ones in between, of course. But Dez and Marcus Peters but, that make sense as catches. This yeah, was, but really like these are the you're always going to have like something pushing the boundaries, right? I would rather this boundary being pushed than the other way. Yeah, this game really came down to a couple plays. So it's twenty four to ten Ravens victory. Colts couldn't move the ball at all, but it was really like four two fourth down plays late in the game. The Ravens convert uh to uh jk dobbins on fourth down they eventually go and uh up their lead on that drive in the fourth quarter the colts are trying to make their comeback they have a fourth down rivers under pressure throws it incomplete i mean it really came down to these couple plays uh lamar had the ravens really didn't even run the ball all that well lamar had a nine yard gain as his longest run which happened to be the touchdown on the keeper on third and one mark andrews block wow what a block Mark that, Andrews was one of, one of the best blocks you'll see. That was George Kittle-esque. Right out the club. He just took a guy 12 yards off the line of scrimmage, buried him in the end zone. But you, you know who had the best block of the week? No. Who? Vitae. Really? In the Detroit what game. What did he do? I'll send it to you. Okay. He took a linebacker 25, 30 He's yards down man. the field. Yeah. Yeah. Like he got, he got him going a little bit, 10 to 15 yards, and then kept him going and buried him. Like it was, it was as good as it, get, as it gets. Mark Andrews, though, big time block. BTB. So uh, I don't know. I mean, let's as far as like the actual footballing in this game, a couple good defenses playing pretty well. Uh, Lamar played a, an efficient game. Other than you know he had the, the the turnover worthy play. I tweeted this yesterday was a throw right to a linebacker, and we're seeing more and more of that from Lamar. He was so good with his decision making last year. I, there's just something a little bit off still with this passing attack, where he's either you know he's forcing a couple. His turnover-worthy plays in college at Louisville were a lot of just misreads of linebackers. That's that's starting to creep back a little bit with the Steelers last week and this week with the Colts. Just something to keep an eye on with Lamar. And then high-level Rivers, he's had four or five games above 75 PFF grades and then three like under 55. So he is just – he's Foles, man. Rivers has become what he's we describe Foles. Foles as every single week. I, I, it, it's tough to bank on him – 
because you don't know what you're going to get every week from Philip. I think you do, though, but it's entirely dependent on how much pressure he's going to be under and whether he feels pressure. Yeah. So not even not even necessarily whether you put him under pressure, but if you get him thinking about it, which obviously like a Baltimore defense is going to do, regardless of whether they actually hit him that much, this team blitzes the crap out of you. They do a bunch of weird things. You're going to be thinking about that pass rush. It's the same with Tom Brady. Like These guys have become, when you get old as hell, the thing for these guys anyway, the big differentiator is whether you get them uncomfortable in the pocket because they just don't – that's everything now. They can still get the ball to where it needs to go, but if you start to muddy their picture in the pocket, that's when you force them off balance, you force them to do weird things mechanically, and that's when the physical decline starts to show up. So I think really with Rivers, what you see is if you keep him completely spotless in the pocket, he looks good. And he very rarely makes a mistake. If you don't, if he is uncomfortable back there, you get bad Phillip Rivers. Um, and bad Phillip Rivers is, is very bad. So Baltimore, they, still, they only have two losses. They're trying to keep pace with the Steelers, who we'll talk about in a minute. The Colts fall to second place in the AFC South. They're now a game behind the Tennessee Titans, who beat the Bears. We'll talk about that game as well. But they're going to play each other Thursday night. So we get to see old man Phillip, our age Phillip, bounce back on a thursday night so that should be fun a nondescript game where the ravens tried to keep pace with the steelers and they're probably watching the steelers go up against the garrett gilbert led cowboys thinking man we can gain a game here in the afc north but nope big ben another time in his career where he breaks his leg and then comes right back into the game i mean he's grabbing his leg like he tore his acl and he's back what is uh, steelers fans you guys still here or did, did uh, uh, our social media account run you off last week? Did, if you're still here, Steelers fans, hold on. Credit to Big Ben. Played a good game on a on one leg. What is his one leg? Did we get an injury update? Is he actually injured, or did he just? I don't know. You know, he's just he just he's he's the all time leader in like this looks like he's out for the season injury, but he's back three plays later. He's, yeah, he's he's leading the the. The world. My favorite that. part was when you know he went down, and Jim Nance is like, uh, "So what does that do, Tony? You know, get a, a knee injury on your left leg if you're a quarterback." Tony's like, "Well, inside or outside of the knee? That man is like injured every single nook and cranny of his body to the point where he can tell you mechanically what it does to everything else. Yeah. It's it's phenomenally amazing." I mean, um, Roethlisberger played really well. This yeah. was was a bizarre game though. Somebody, a friend of mine, texted me last night and was like, was this a Dallas, uh, was Dallas the exploding whale? Were they the bloated whale? You know, the big leviathan that once was majestic in the ocean, but it's been just a decaying carcass so far this season, has one last explosion of noxious, rotting fumes left in them. Only it, it, even that wasn't enough to overcome. This was it. one of those games that Dallas is such a big underdog in this game. And if and you're watching it and you're like, okay, they're overachieving, they're overachieving. But one of those, the longer, the longer the game goes, even though it's always 60 minutes, at, the longer you get into the game, it's like, all right, they can't, they can't keep it up. And once Garrett Gilbert's trying to lead a couple, either hold the lead late in the game or lead comeback attempts, it's just missing just enough throws that it wasn't, it wasn't going to happen. But this did show that. This showed how ridiculous starting Ben DiNucci was, to be honest. Like, Garrett Gilbert... I mean, I tweeted this last week that, look, <laughs> there's no way you're telling me that Garrett Gilbert wouldn't execute a better offense-by-numbers, you know, version 
than the thing we're seeing. This game plan that they trotted out no, against, he played, he played against Philadelphia. Game. You know, Ben DiNucci clearly right now, whatever he's going to be in the future, has no business playing NFL football at the moment. Garrett Gilbert can play NFL football. It's not going to be pretty a lot of the time, and it's, it's not incredible, but he's got receivers to throw to still. The offensive line is a problem still, but he was okay, and he was able to turn Dallas from – you know, no shot whatsoever in this game to actually able to hang and almost snatched it at the end. The real difference is Dallas's defense actually made a couple of plays for the first time like ever. Plus, you know, special teams plays. They had the, like the Music City Miracle punt return that almost broke for a touchdown. Um, they had a couple of big special teams plays as well that helped. But what hurt Dallas was the turnovers. And, uh, and what, you know, that was the Steelers forcing them. But C.D. Lamb fumble. Yeah. That really turned the game early on when Dallas had the ball, had it in control, and then Gilbert kind of throws a prayer under pressure. You know, it's tough when you're you're getting hit while throwing, but he throws it out. Minka Fitzpatrick on the receiving end of the interception in the end zone. Both of those plays absolutely turned this game. We mentioned Big Ben even on one leg, spreading the ball around really well. And this was look, it's a bad like on one hand they they should have crushed Dallas, right? Yes, they should have, and this is why. This is why our, honestly, in our ELO rankings, I don't have them yet. They're probably going to go down this week. <laughs> this is one of those games where the Steelers beat a team that they should have crushed, but they didn't, and it'll probably actually hurt them more than it helps them in the old power rankings deal. Right. Now, Steelers fans, enjoy the win. 8 knows 8 no. right? Nobody's taking that away from you. You are what your record are is for now. Um, but again, when you're evaluating teams going forward, you know, how well you played matters. And it wasn't the Steelers' best effort in a game that they really should have. No, I mean, this was, this was a double-digit point spread, and Dallas almost won it. They, they were in the lead for a majority of this game and had a shot to win it at the end, despite, despite how late the Steelers, you know, took the lead and put them in a hole. Like, they – this – this was a bad game for Pittsburgh, even though it ended up being a good result in terms of just getting a win, getting it, out there, still undefeated. It was another game with almost no rushing attack on one side. James Conner, 9 for 22. McFarlane, 3 for 7. I mean, they, they ran for almost nothing in Pittsburgh. But when we talk about Juju Smith-Schuster having six catches, Deontay Johnson with six, Chase Claypool with eight, and Eric Ebron with three, and Washington, James Washington had the 17-yard touchdown – that is the Steelers' receiving core. I mean, that's that's where points are scored. That's where the game's won with the ability to spread the ball around among multiple playmakers, and Pittsburgh did a good job of that. Does So uh, Mina Kimes tweeted out something, friend of the show, tweeted out mm -hmm. something like, you know, I love Minka Fitzpatrick, but the guy's like the most blessed safety in the world in terms of these plays that just keep dropping into his lap. Does that remind you of anybody? Ed Reed? No. Because I think Ed Reed actually manufactured those plays. It reminds me more of remember there was a season where Jarius Bird just kept having the ball thrown to him from yeah. deep free safety at Buffalo, and it's like this, well, I mean interceptions why in is general are unstable, right? Jar Jarius had eight that yeah. year, yeah. But if you watch them, it was it was less you know Ed Reed crazy plays from deep middle and more like why are they throwing I, the ball at Jarius Bird? I think it's I think Jerron Harmon might be a good proxy too like Harmon always felt like the guy that the tipped pass the overthrow like there's there's something to being in position yeah but no there's no position that relies more on the offense being bad than safety right there's no like you you just 
your goal is to be in position for hundreds of plays over the course of a season. And then if some land in your hands, you're elite, right? I mean, that's, and the difference that's what between, it is. Yeah, the difference between Ed Reed is that like Ed Reed is specifically out there understanding and baiting teams into bad decisions. Mink is not doing that? There's a difference between that and just being where you're supposed to be and the ball is somehow ending up in layer in your hands he had a pick six a couple weeks ago that was him yeah well it was him although again i think that play said more about the offense than it did the defense like he he picked his thing and drove on it that's fine that's a good play but most quarterbacks would have taken the second slant not the first one because the first one was covered like that was baker may that was a bad play by baker mayfield more than it was a good play by minka fitzpatrick that i think is the difference like ed reed there's less of those plays for Ed Reed and more Ed Reed somehow conspiring to pick off the second slant in that scenario. Like he would bait you into the second one and then somehow be there. That's the difference between him and like Minka or Jarius Bird or the, the safeties that go on a run of these weird turnovers. Hey, social team, let's get Sam hates Minka Fitzpatrick. I'll put it on the docket this week. <sighs> Just try to really get Steelers fans. Really this is upset. all good for Pittsburgh, though. I mean, yeah. they're undefeated. They, they 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 took control of the division by beating Baltimore in Baltimore. Like the worst they can do is split the series. Now they're they're looking. Well, up. I said they're on their way to be in ten and zero in a Thanksgiving night battle against the Ravens. Yeah, that's what we're looking at. And then you know the seventy two Dolphins are going to be shaking in their boots. Their champagne's on ice, but they might not be able to. We're talking sixteen and zero Steelers this year. They're going to do it. Hmm. Okay. No, they're not going to, I don't think. But we shall see. Steelers, take care of business, Sam. That's the word. Let's go to Arizona. Miami Dolphins, Arizona Cardinals. How about them Dolphins? Yeah. Pulling it off. Uh, we just got um, some numbers dropped in by Timo about the uh, decision by the Cardinals to kick the field goal that they missed. Mm. How it feels like the right decision. You're down three. You kick the field goal to tie it. Zane Gonzalez just didn't reach short from 49 yards what yeah. happened to zane i don't think they knew like they him and the holder were like what the hell but the um the where's the number that he put in there which chat were we in here? arizona Somebody lost a 13 percent win probability by deciding to kick a field goal in fourth and one against by the miami kicking, dolphins by kicking it they lost an additional 24 percent win probability by missing the field goal right because it wasn't with time expiring or anything like that there was a lot of time left in the game so there's so there's a couple the things that go into win probability there there was like two something left right the, the things that go into it there it's like okay even if you kick the field goal there's still a lot of time. So it ties the game. There's still a lot of time for Miami to drive down. And in today's NFL, it's actually fairly likely mm. to drive down and kick your own field goal. And, you know, again, high-scoring game. Win it. It's, it's not a, like it was a defensive battle. Right. So tying the game with a field goal, even with two or three minutes left in the game, isn't really that good for your football team, right? Because a couple things, too. So Miami could drive down and kick the field goal, or... They could not do that, and it's still tied, and you still have the hypothetical 50-50 yeah, to win. Time. So the right move there would have been going for it, giving up the long field goal, which isn't really that long, but apparently it is for Zane, <laughs> and you just you, you go for the touchdown. Or you kick a field goal with less time, and now it's tied, and you go back to that. You you lose that opportunity for Miami to go back down the field and yeah. kick their game-winning field goal. So that's the 
the reasoning there. Which, so this was much better for Tua, by the way, yeah. in this game. Uh, as much as last week I thought he looked rushed, I thought he looked a little off, this was one of those games. He had a lot of plays at Alabama where he was just – you know, making Russell Wilson-y type of, you know, I'm inviting pressure, but I'm getting out of it and all that stuff. And he and he, he made those work in this game, and I thought he did a, a pretty nice job distributing. Yeah, it's, I think it started ugly, and then it got very much better. The later. throwaway pick? Yeah, accidentally, <laughs> basically accidentally threw an interception, trying to throw it out of bounds and, and hit a defender on the sideline who just – avoided getting both feet down and so he dodged a bullet there even later so the, i think that was the same drive where he, he Tua was like four for six for whatever and it's like oh look Tua doing a great job leading this drive but the two incompletions were almost through an interception trying to throw the ball away and missed a touchdown high and wide badly in the back of the end zone so like, yeah. that's you know four for six for 60 yards or whatever is encouraging however those are two quite significant caveats but Late in the game, as you said, was making a few of those Russell Wilson plays where he just, you know, escapes pressure, makes something happen with his legs, was much more accurate as the game went on, like looked a lot more poised and in control and generally better than he did certainly in that first drive and then last week where it was a little bit ugly. And Kyler Murray, you know, he had a couple of those turnover-worthy plays too that I think hurt his performance, but he was... He was making throws. He was scrambling around. He's just got so much confidence as a runner right now. You yeah. want to drop your uh, rushing touchdown stat? Uh, he's got nine of them. That's more than like most of the teams in the NFL. There you go. There's the stat. Um, you, you should – the Cardinals defense obviously let them down. But like coming out of this game saying Kyler's going <laughs> to run all over the place and they have that ability to spread the ball around to their various playmakers, he did – he missed Andy Isabella on the touchdown. But um, their ability to spread the field with Hopkins and Christian Kirk having a monster game. And Isabella gets behind the defense once, once or twice, you know. They should be really tough to defend, and they are. But they could not make a stop in this one. The Dolphins keep bringing that zero blitz and just forcing the issue from opposing offenses, just forcing them. It's like the opposite of what we said from the Bucks, where the Dolphins are playing aggressive and making teams make plays. They got also, burned a couple times, but man, good game. They're also still getting it done on all in all three phases. I mean, we said last week, like, all right, this week's going to be harder if for no other reason than the defense isn't going to score and the special teams isn't going to score. And that almost happened again. Like, they, the defense did score, um, the fumble – scoop and score and then special teams forced a fumble on from Andy Isabella on a kick return like they they're getting huge plays in all three phases again which can only help Tua like he doesn't have to do that much he doesn't have to be Kyla Murray because you know their their defense and special teams are really helping him out at the moment yeah that fumble by Kyler that was that was another blitz right that um yeah Miami I think they I mean they got after him and then created some indecision in him yeah. That's so. That's kind of like the, the catch twenty two with his. He's he seems like he's very willing to scramble this year compared to last year, right? He's maneuvering the pocket, looking for holes, picking up nine where there's almost nothing. But this was one of those that backfired, right? He tried to do too much and, um, fumble six that got the Dolphins on the board. But this was a good back and forth game. And what are your thoughts on Miami's playmakers? Preston Williams, Williams making a ton of plays. Devontae Parker, uh, Mike Gesicki. I mean, they are. 
they looked like one of the my, my boy Mac Hollins finally mm-hmm. coming through just uh, with the Moss at the catch point for his touchdown. I like the way they're coming together, their group of playmakers that fits that fits kind of uh, molded, right? He's like, hey, guys, I'm going to throw some jump balls to you. Go make some plays. I mean, the Dolphins group of playmakers, I think, is starting to come together a lot better than we had anticipated coming into the season. Yeah, I don't think it's a bad group. Um, Preston Williams, uh, Devontae Parker, and Mike Gusecki in particular, I think, can form a really good group. It'll be interesting to see if they can find the sort of more shifty speed addition to that. I don't know if Jakeem Grant is going to take that role or if he's always going to be more of a gimmick guy and they need to find a sort of more consistent, you know, a bigger, uh, have a, a guy that can carve a larger role in the offense and that. But that's, suddenly you have a pretty small, you know, area to have to fill as opposed to, hey, this entire receiving core outside of Parker kind of needs to be assembled. All right, let's move on to the AFC West, Las Vegas Raiders. Raiders. Pull it off against the Los Angeles Chargers. I thought they were going to call that a touchdown, that final throw, that final play. It looked like it was, and then it hit the ground. Yeah, I, I don't just know what to tell I you. <laughs> I know. I thought it's an incomplete pass. No, I like I saw it, and then I went to go like uh, to grab some dinner, and then I came back, and I saw the Raiders celebrating, and I was really confused. Yeah, and then went back and saw. I was like, at first, I, I was like, "Wow, the from Chargers!" One, like pull it from off. one angle, it looked perfect, and then you yeah. see the reverse, and you see it drop out and hit the ground. And it's like, ah, crap. Um, the Chargers. It's amazing how they keep finding ways to lose games. Like it's absurd. You, you think, okay, let's avoid throwing away a seventeen-point lead by just never having the lead until the death. And then even then you find a way of like, now you didn't actually complete the pass. That'll end at some point, right? <laughs> like at some point in Justin Herbert's career. It should. But the, the, the scary part is it looks like he's going to be able to ride this wave of like unsustainable things all the way through this year. But This wasn't all big time throw related. I mean, he made some nice I know, ones. I know, I know. But it, I think, it's all of the unsustainable things, right? It's not just big time throws. It's right. like third down play. It's, it's all of the crazy things that don't last, right? And it doesn't mean he'll be bad at them. It just means that he won't be this good at them. So at some point, you have to anticipate this downswing of Justin Herbert play, um, at which means you also need to counteract that with something else moving in the other direction if you're going to be good. So at the moment, the Chargers can't buy a win because everything else keeps undermining what Justin Herbert is doing. If he then regresses then you suck like then you, you're not just losing games by a razor's edge then you're getting blown out why are you so negative all the time i'm not i'm just saying that at some point justin herbert is not going to be as good as he's been right now but the, he's a rookie he's going to get better every year his madden great his rating is going to go up two to yeah. four points every year until he's a 98 just like carson wentz that's how it works herbert played pretty well again i think though i think so his misses he has these misses that are he just has such a tight window that he's trying to throw into part of it's his own doing like why why are you throwing that tight window throw but I think that's the nature of the what we were talking about last week the big time throws versus the high percentage of negatives he takes chances on these tighter window throws that his margin of error is just is just really small Um, one of his touchdowns on a nice fullback screen though so you can't can't give him all the credit for those nice stats once again but overall still impressed with Herbert the Raiders run game finally a game where the run game mattered Devontae Booker and Josh Jacobs with a couple nice runs for touchdowns as part of their 31 points 
Hunter Renfro sneaking behind the defense on the scramble drill for a 53-yard gain. I mean, what a weird game for the Raiders offense, where it was mostly run. They actually ran the ball more than they threw it overall, including Derek Carr's scrambles in Elway. Well, that wasn't Elway, but no. going over the top. Um, only threw the ball 23 times, but created some some chunk plays in there. Yeah, three big-time throws. The Hunter Renfro one hit, a, hit Aguilar deep on a dime. Um, Aguilar has become this really useful deep threat for them. Yeah. Like he's actually, they found USC Aguilar as opposed to the guy that was terrible for most of his time in Philadelphia and even the guy that was good for the one year in Philadelphia doing a bunch of stuff that's completely different from what he's doing now. Like they actually found the USC version of him who was a really good deep threat, not the most physical guy at the catch point or anything, but if you drop the ball in there, he'll be open down the field. It is interesting where he had his best season just in the slot as like a short intermediate threat. But when you do get like when he actually does catch the ball and you do create a different role for a receiver and he excels in it. Yeah, like that was that was unexpected, I think, for the Raiders this year. So Raiders win, man. They're still hanging around. Yeah. Going to be in the playoff. Good job, Austin. Congrats. You're still back there. Good job, Raiders. All right, let's go to uh, Detroit and Minnesota. Vikings win again. Dalvin Cook. What a stud. Dalvin Cook is almost in the top 10 in rushing yardage this season just from the last two weeks. That's crazy. Isn't it? It really is. I'm telling you, if you have a guy that could just create big plays, give me that guy. Give me that guy. Yeah. This is like, <laughs> it's funny because... 70-yarder, two touchdowns, 206 yards. This is like the dream Vikings offense, right? Like They've Dalvin had a few Cook. of these through the years, yeah, yeah. through the last two years. This is what they want to do. This is the league. I would say this is the league's most conservative offense in terms of like neutral game situation. You know, you have those charts, right? Who passes the most or runs the most in neutral game flow situations first and 10. And the Seahawks this season have been at the top in terms of pass ratio on those plays. And the Vikings have been buried at the bottom of that chart. They will run every single first and 10, essentially, in a neutral game flow situation. This is what they want to do. They want to have Dalvin Cook go off for 200 yards, which gives them this play-action game off the back of it. They can hit Justin Jefferson a couple of times, Adam Thielen every now and again. Kirk Cousins never has to be in a tricky situation. And then the defense just has to make a couple of plays, and they win the game. You talk about color by numbers cousins first like five passes were play action yeah. crossing routes this play is, action crosser play action crosser. one was a dig route but like same same idea you're gonna fake it you're gonna come out there's gonna be somebody crossing the intermediate middle of the field throw it to him and you know cousins goes 13 of 20 for 220 and three touchdowns one of the touchdowns on a screen pass to amir abdullah doing all the work one little flat pass to irv smith and a nice uh the first one to Irv Smith was nice for a nine-yard score. But um, you're right. Cousins doesn't have to do a whole lot. This is the dream scenario for the Vikings. And it works when Dalvin Cook averages nine per carry, including a 70-yarder. But, man, he just – he's my Fred Taylor, man. He's got speed. He's got power. He's got shiftiness. He's got everything you're looking for Dal in a back. And if you give him a little bit of a crease, he's going to maximize it. Dalvin Cook does seem to be freakily able to overcome – everything we know about running backs like the situation that he's in is not as good as he makes it look consistently yeah and what's weird is he seems to even have like a magnifying effect on like alexander madison 
Like, Madison looks better when Dalvin Cook is the guy getting most of the carries than he does when Dalvin Cook goes out and he replaces him. He actually looks and is significantly more productive when he's being, like, auxiliary Dalvin Cook than when he's trying to replace the guy. It's actually bizarre how much of an effect or how productive he's able to be despite what's in front of him. Like The run blocking, though, was a lot better yeah, but even, last week and you know, pretty good this week with Garrett Bradbury, Brian O'Neill, Riley Reeve leading the way as far as uh, the Vikings go. They're definitely better than they were last year, I think, the way they've played recently from sure. a run blocking standpoint. Yeah, I mean, I think we said that the area of this team that is significantly better than they've shown so far this year is the offense, and this is more what it should look like. It's still you're only going to be able to do this against certain defenses. Like if you run up against the better defenses in the NFL, they're not going to let you do what, what's happening to, uh, to Green Bay and to Detroit. Um, but they should be better. Like this is a, a, a intrinsically better offense than they've showed for a lot of this season. Um, Good job avoiding fundamentally. Thank you. Good the job. The question is the defensive side of the ball, and they got turnovers this week, which you know helped them out. This is we, we talk about defense being dependent on offense, right? So do you credit like the Vikings? Eric Kendricks had a really nice interception in the end zone. You Which have is to, a couple of weeks now. He's made some really good plays. Yes. So you know, credit him and all that stuff. Uh, but why is Matthew Stafford throwing the ball right to linebackers? The Eric Wilson interception wasn't really great. It was just like spot drop your zone, stand there. Right. Stafford's going to throw it to you. This is what I'm saying. Like, there's a difference between you know actually baiting the quarterback into doing something that he wouldn't normally do and you just like carried out your chalkboard assignment and the ball got put there are you yes so first off Stafford had a blind spot for linebackers yesterday that was a huge part of the game turning the ball over in the red zone the Lions entered the red zone what five times two of them two interceptions they couldn't score that was a big factor um are you encouraged by at least how the Vikings are coming together on the back end? Jeff Gladney had his best game, the rookie corner, flying around the field, making tackles. And, you know, maybe the Vikings are going to be a – first off, they're better than we thought. But they're going to be a tough, tough team to battle in the second half here. I don't know. I, I still have concerns over the defense. I think they, their good players are playing well. Uh, Eric Hendricks has made some plays the last couple of weeks. I think some of the safeties have been – showing some good th they still have nobody up front like the defensive line doesn't really exist the cornerbacks don't really exist even though jeff gladney had a decent game this week um I, there's just too many holes there's, you're not going to run into a team every week that's going to throw you three interceptions like true uh stafford had a nightmare and then stafford gets knocked from the game um helmet to, knee to the helmet chase daniel comes in picks up right where stafford left off just pitches the ball to the defense like that, you know, that was the difference in this game. Like Minnesota's offense did exactly what they want. And then Detroit were on their way to that, except they kept throwing the ball away. Right, let's go to the Chicago Bears and Tennessee Titans. Titans win, take control of the AFC South. This was another weird game too. Tannehill starts like five for 15, ends up with a couple touchdowns. Numbers look okay. Nick Foles throws the ball a hundred times, actually has his best game throw for throw and the bears still can't really put points on the board my favorite stat from this game is that uh desmond king has more touchdowns for the titans and he has practices appeared in playmaker yeah you told me he was out now espn also told us he was out a lot of people told this me game. he was out they said he me. was out yeah we got to go back and edit the preview podcast okay because we were wrong and we said he was out for this game but yeah desmond king playmaker 
Didn't actually play that well. He just scooped up a fumble and scored. No, I didn't. I know. They just He's a playmaker, though. That's what it is. Okay. Uh, Bears kept – there was a point in this game where my boy Barkevius Mingo was the leading rusher mm. for the Bears with an 11-yarder on the uh, fake punt. It was a nice play. Uh, the Bears didn't run the ball a ton, but it did feel like they were – it felt like both teams in this game were just hammering their head against the wall from a run game standpoint. Derrick Henry got almost nothing. Uh, David Montgomery got almost nothing. This was – it was similar to the Ravens and Colts game where there just wasn't a whole lot going on, and then it just becomes a couple plays that make the difference. A deep ball to A.J. Brown. Uh, you know, he catches – he has four catches for 101. Meanwhile, the Titans spend 31 rushes to pick up 92. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, this is – I have concerns about the Titans trying to run, run – running Derrick Henry 21 times and dropping Tannehill back 24 times. I know Tannehill's not perfect, and he's not playing as well lately, but – they're going to stop putting points on the board if they rely that heavily on the run game just to hope that they break one with Henry every now and again. Did we, like, suitably boost SEC corners a couple of years ago in the draft for having to contend with DK Metcalf and A.J. Brown in the same game? I don't, right? Or or dock Jordan Ta'amu for throwing yeah. to them and not winning the Heisman. Yes. It is absurd. Like, not only were these guys really good, but again, they're both in that physically overwhelming mode. Like... A.J. Brown isn't quite D.K. Metcalf, but he's still big and fast enough to overwhelm most cornerbacks he's going to come up against in terms of just you're smaller than him, you're not as strong as him, and he's probably faster than you. Yeah. I mean, man, he's just freak plays all the time, tough to tackle. Um, the ability to win at the catch point and create after the catch. I mean, those are the two things. I would, would you still take A.J. Brown over D.K.? Uh, no. We had, as as PFF, we had DK Metcalf over A.J. Brown, one and two. Yes. As first-round caliber players. Then last year, we would have flipped that. I had, I would have said A.J. Brown, then DK, coming out. Coming out. Yes. Okay. I had them the but other even, way. Even regar like, regardless of where we had them last year, out, we would last have said, year, we would have flipped them. Last year, we would have said A.J. Brown. Right. DK is expanding his game. Yes. At this point, though, too. Yeah. Now, he's also helped by, you know, he's had Russell Wilson. Sure. I mean, I know Tannehill's playing or been playing really well for the majority of AJ's career as well. But like Russell Wilson, not only is he really good, but he also max he's perfect for what DK does well. Like yeah. he can he has the best deep ball in the NFL. He can put it in his hands from fifty yards away, which maximizes that value. Like if you're if you've got a guy that runs really fast past people, being able to like place the ball in his hands from fifty yards away makes those plays more valuable yeah and dk is expanding his game now though like last year it was deep ball yeah stop routes we'll run a slant every now and again but now they're working in the middle of the field and letting them create after the catch and catch some screens here go ahead and tackle me i'm a monster so that's that's the stuff that aj was already doing pretty well so i think it's a it's a fair debate but either way they're both getting better and they were already scary and some poor sec dbs had to like cover that yeah it was uh just not fun. I think Bears lose three in a row, and did they finally just regress back into what they were supposed to be? God damn it. They are what we thought they were. They're still five and four. They're still battling, but man, you know, negative point differential this year. The offense, like I said, when Foles actually starts making some throws, they're still not putting points on the board. Like something's off yeah. there, and it's just I, – I say this a lot, but it's like when one thing goes right, something else is going wrong, it's tough to – it's tough to pinpoint that that's just what the bears offense feels like right now. It, so 
a lot there was talk about you know has Matt Nagy gone off the rails given the quarterback situation around him or was he just trying to shift the offense to help those guys out um, I think he was trying to shift the offense to help out Trubisky in particular but it feels like in doing so he's kind of lost his way like I, I don't think that Matt Nagy was the problem but he may have become part of the problem by trying to make all these changes and I wonder if like he can find his way back to the path again yeah um, I I I just think it, it feels right now that even when you get good quarterback play, and this was the best game Foles has played for a long time, that it's still it just isn't working right now. The, the things that he was doing that used to benefit a quarterback, that used to be quarterback friendly, just don't seem to be helping. Foles averaged six point four yards per attempt, and again, I think for a guy that we call volatile on the show every single week, he hadn't been very volatile for the first few weeks. He's been maddeningly, maddeningly consistent, opposite of what we expected. But I think there's way more dink and dunk to Foles' game than I than I think we anticipated. He's he he's done that at points throughout his career. That's how he played in Jacksonville last year. But to maximize the Foles, you got to chuck it. You got to chuck it down the field. You got to give Darnell Mooney opportunities. You got to give Allen Robinson more opportunities. And you know I think they have the playmakers to do it. But it's I think you just got to be a little bit more aggressive. That's me on a spreadsheet saying just chuck it deep. But I think there's something to it with the Bears. Like, you've got nothing to lose at this point. They scored 17 points and a lot came late. So, Bears have something to uh, – have some things to figure out offensively. Three more games, Denver Broncos and the Atlanta Falcons. Are the Falcons going to be a, a tough out here in the second half of the season? They moved to 3-6 and six with their second straight win. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think what we're seeing is, hey – Matt Ryan to Julio Jones is still like dangerous as hell. And yeah. that's not easy to cover, particularly if you don't have a good coverage unit in the first place. Um, that's, Smoke route. Right. That's what we saw last week. That's what we saw this week. Julio Jones, that post, it's not a post corner, I, you know, the sort of post out that he post runs. Out. Smoke. Yeah. Whatever. It's um, impossible to cover. You cannot cover that. Nobody. And if you're bad to begin with, you're going to look ridiculous. Yeah. And Ryan can that. just anticipate it, chuck it up yeah, there. And he just beats somebody with that every now and again. And it's, it's ridiculous. It was really an Olamides as a Kias coming out party, though. No, Jerry Judy coming out party. Yeah. Seven for 125. Garbage time. Absolutely like. wrecked. AJ Terrell had a, had a rough game. Like, yeah. Not only did he get destroyed by Jerry Judy, he got trucked by Drew Locke for a touchdown. That's one that's going to – you're going you're gonna to feel that in the morning. Um, Jerry Judy, did you see his touchdown? Yeah. God, that was awesome. pretty. I mean, he, look, this was – this is what the – the Broncos were not – I mean, they were not good defensively. They were unable to stop the Falcons. But offensively, this is – on draft night, this is what we were talking about. You, you, Jerry Judy's going to go off and K.J. Hamler and my boy Tim Patrick still out there. You know, But yeah. having those playmakers plus Noah Fant, like all those guys making plays, like this is, this is what Denver is supposed to be. Judy's like a top five route runner in the NFL already. Oh, yeah. um, not only is he like slick, but the, the really small things that you don't think about he's doing already just – Think just are automatically like he sold the go on AJ Terrell by putting his hand up, you know, Randy Moss style, yeah, like great. I'm open, going over the top just before he slammed on the brakes and just turned around for the hitch. And like Terrell's busy, you know, running for his life trying to cover the go into the back of the end zone, gets him like five yards of separation, and then he just catches it, runs around Terrell because he's nowhere near him. Like that, just that little hand thing, right? That something that like the best route runners in the NFL do. 
the guys that aren't in that category don't do that. And he's doing it halfway through his rookie season in addition to like the, having quickness that most of these guys can't come close to matching. It's just, I mean, obviously this was, he was one of the best route runners, if not the best we've seen come out of college since we've been grading. But to see it immediately translate to the NFL and to see him like adding, you know, more subtleties to it as he goes is crazy. And that usually gets even, you get, as you get more comfortable in the NFL, you can do more of right. those things. So yeah, the fact that he's showing that already is impressive. It's another game where the running backs did almost nothing, uh, averaging under under three yards per carry on both sides of the ball, but still a 34-27 to 27 game. Broncos, you know, did you feel like the Falcons were going to find a way to blow it again? Yeah, it made it look like it was happening. Yeah, right? The Broncos almost made the comeback, but they, you know, the Falcons ended up holding on. Um, I think they'll be – both of these teams will just be tough to battle in the second half. What we're looking for in the second half, I think – Falcons, you know it's a whole new regime coming in. Is Zacchaeus taking taking the place of Calvin Ridley? Which of these guys are a part of the rebuild there? Matt Ryan played a pretty good game there. And then for the Broncos, you know, continuing to evaluate Drew Locke now that he has these rookie playmakers and the speed that they're bringing to the table with Judy, Hamler, Noah, Noah Fant watching this Broncos offense evolve in the second half here I think is going to be key. Falcons are 3-6. and six. And where's Denver now? Same. I forget what their record is. Three and five. Sorry. Losing who had a bye and who didn't. How about Houston Texans? They find a win against mm. the Jaguars and Jake Luton. Jags, Jags kept it tight, but they're still in the Justin Fields mix. Yeah. That's um, the most important thing. They are. They almost snatched it at the Luton, end. Luton with a 73-yarder to kick off his career to DJ Chark. That was nice. Everything beyond that was like, you know. Until the end where he almost and he made like, some plays at the end yeah. too. But when you get picked off by Vernon Hargraves, I mean, it's like, you know. That's not great. He did, however, spin some poor DB, like just victimize him in the end zone or just before the end zone to get a touchdown. Yeah. Like stiff arms, a linebacker. and Sick, then big guy on the run. Yeah, then spins outside of the corner who really should just retire at that point. Like that's one of those plays where you're you're not coming <laughs> back from that. That's, that's game over. Oh, Luton showed some good stuff. That was good. I mean, and then – you know, there's not much, I think, else to, to glean from this game. It was actually not one of Deshaun Watson's best games. You know, his stat line ended up good. You've got the Brandon Cooks 57-yarder on a little quick uh, quick out screen that he took to the house. But critically, it wasn't a bad game. No, which, it wasn't. I mean, that's his thing, right, is he hasn't had the stinker so far this season that have blighted his career. The other thing is, you know, big play to Will Fuller for a touchdown. 77-yarder. Or C.J. Henderson just kind of got lost with the ball in the air. That's happened a few times to him now. Like, overall, he's been really good as a rookie. But when he's lost, it's been when the ball has been in the air. He's And it's not even like you just got beat at the catch point. Like, he he just sort of loses the thing. Like, the ball goes in the air, and then he kind of seems to not just lose the ball, but lose his way in terms of what he's doing and looks kind of silly by the end of it. That was, that was him at Florida, though, too. I mean, he was – C.J. Henderson – we had a first-round grade on him, but it was like, yeah, it was mostly based off everything pre-2019, where he is generally, he's got all the skills. He's got yeah. the movement skills, the size. But last year, he gave up a ton of big plays in limited time, but a ton of big plays. And yeah, we are seeing, we're, we're seeing the highs and the lows of C.J. Henderson so far, I think, for the, for the Jags. Well, the lows are almost all in a very specific way, which is, it's an interesting way to be losing. Yeah. Um, so Watson ends up another 8.8 yards per attempt. He's, he's among the league leaders because you have the 77-yarder to Fuller. You have the 57-yarder to Brandon Cooks. 
we're still seeing the speed be a factor in this, you know, for this offense. That the DeAndre Hopkins-less offense, if they had had a better defense throughout the year, maybe we're looking at this team different. Well, the, obviously we'd look at the team differently. The, the defense has just been such a disaster. But I think it's overshadowing the fact that you know, Greg Cosell, our friend too, also agreed Deshaun Watson had been playing his best football of his career. Yeah. I think it's really getting overshadowed by just how bad the, the Houston Texans are defensively. And as much as we LOL'd at the DeAndre Hopkins deal, it doesn't change that they didn't get the compensation, but it hasn't hurt their offensive production, really. Yeah. The, having Will Fuller, Cooks, and all the speed guys. The narrative that I was pushing in the offseason, I think, is starting to come true. This idea that Deshaun Watson will become a better quarterback overall without the crutch of New Hopkins to rely on. Like when you're in doubt, just heave it in the general direction of New Hopkins. That's how we play the game. But I think from a, you know, a, a sort of uh, the bottom, just the, the basis of how he's playing the game now. Like he has to go about reading a defense honestly and find the open guy on every single play. And sometimes it'll be Will Fuller. Sometimes it'll be Brandon Cook. Sometimes it'll be Randall Cobb, whoever. That will make him a better quarterback. And it looked like that was ridiculous early in the season because they were just getting shellacked by really good teams. But now it's starting to be borne out. And he has the highest grade he's had in his career. He hasn't had a stinking game yet. He is, he is playing the best football of his career. It might have just taken a few weeks for that to start to work its way out. All right, let's wrap it up with the WFT killer, Daniel Jones, <laughs> moving to 4-0. Four 4-0 and oh four against and oh the Washington football team. Against Washington and 1-17 against not Washington. Uh, look, QB wins are not a stat, Sam, you tell me. I mean, that's a hilarious stat, so it should be. It is. Daniel Jones played a, pre played a pretty decent game, at least and throwing the, one, the ball. the other one win, I think, was somebody else missing a field goal. Like, Tampa Bay maybe missed a field goal to give him a win. Yeah, they they beat the Bucs in the first his, yeah. first his first ever start. Right. So he's 0-16 against non-WFTs since his first start. Yes. Right, because they did beat the Bucs. Or did they lose? I don't remember now. I don't know. But anyway, the, the, it, the, the other win, I think, involved a missed field goal for the other team. Could look this stuff up. We could. we could. Premium stats. These stats are live. Premium stats 2.0. Go check it out. All part of your PFF Elite package. Grades will be coming out all day Monday here. Let's check out last year. Did they did they beat the Bucs in their first game? I'm, I'm on the Jets instead of the Giants. This That's is just bad. Hell. Yeah, this bad is, podcasting here. This is weak. Come on, man. Kyle Allen goes down. Yeah, they beat the Bucs. So he, so he won his first ever start. Yes. 32-31 to 31 against the Bucs. Right. With then a miss, beat with a miss field goal. Yes. So the point is, it's a one-point win in which a kick could have gone the other way. Then other they, than that, he's got four wins against Washington and hasn't beaten anyone else. That is amazing. And they beat the Dolphins last year, but that was like Eli's comeback game, right? Eli came back for that? Yeah. Makes sense. Anyway, hmm. Kyle Allen goes down with an injury. Yeah, nasty one. Really bad. Ironically, Alex Smith comes back, replaces him, has his 3.7 average depth of target still <laughs> picking up a ton of receipts. Uh, somehow generated 300 yards. yards. Ended up being Alex Smith's uncharacteristic poor decisions and turnovers, though, that uh, cost Washington in their comeback attempt against the Giants and the WFT Slayer. Daniel Jones. Yeah, I still think Alex Smith has should have comeback player of the year wrapped up. Oh, absolutely. But 
that was unfortunate. Like, yeah, man. particularly the last one. Like, the last pick was just bad. Yeah. I mean, you're making do. Terry McLaurin's awesome. He had the 68-yard touchdown. Uh, but you're still making do with Sims and McKissick. And Antonio Gibson's shown some stuff as a rookie. Another game where there was no rushing <laughs> whatsoever. This Washington. is a bad week for the running game does matter, truthers. Other than I, Dalvin Cook. Like, Dalvin is who you're hanging your hat on. Everything else yes. didn't happen this One week. One running back in 13 games. Uh, Antonio Gibson and J, uh, J.D. McKissick combined for nine carries for 37 yards for Washington. So, didn't get much going on the ground in this one. You know, they still have a lot to uh, to figure out offensively. But I was impressed with, with what Alex Smith did outside of those poor decisions. Dalvin Cook around. had 206 rushing yards yesterday, and no other running back was over 100. The only other person over 100 was Kyler Murray, wow. who had 106. Yeah, I mean, it's a – it's a pass first league. And like I, like I said, in a week like last week where it is more difficult to pass the ball in certain environments, it would be nice to be able to run the ball. Minnesota had two of the top four rushing, running back rushing performances yesterday. Madison had 69 yards. That was fifth overall. Yeah. Fourth in terms of running backs. So we said this a couple of weeks ago too. Like the value of having a Dalvin or a Derrick Henry is they're going to break some big plays for you. But I, w- I want to go back to Henry and the Titans really quick. He ran the ball 21 times for 68 yards. 26 came on one play, which means he's averaging like under two per carry otherwise, right? On 20 carries. that You only get 60 to 70 plays in a game. You're spending a lot of plays. Going nowhere. Really going nowhere, right? And Body blows, Steve. Tennessee won, but you win because you get a couple of freak plays from A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown had nine targets. Fine. He only touched the ball four. He only caught four. Derrick Henry had the 21 carries. I mean, I would just let A.J. Brown have a few more opportunities. You know, I know it sounds simple. It's just spreadsheet stuff. You're just not appreciating the body blows. But we're a couple weeks removed from, like, see, Derrick Henry, he won this game for you. Like, the run, the, the big running back games show up once or twice a year, and they are valuable in those particular games. Like, the, the game flow works, or you break off a 70-yarder or whatever it is. But if it's to the detriment of your offense in other games throughout the year or multiple games throughout the year, is it even worth it? The question is, though, how do you know when one's coming and therefore when to abandon it? No, you don't. I'll, but you come, the run game still comes down to numbers in the box and having answers. And, and look, I, I know sometimes the Bears are inviting the Titans to run and they're just winning up front, right? But it's just... As long as you're not going into the game, be like, man, we just got to get to that magic number of 20 for yeah, Derrick Henry. Yeah, I mean, that would be a bad process. Because, but like with Derrick Henry, you're more likely to think, well, he's going to wear down the defense. He, you know, he's so durable, which he is. He's going to break one in the fourth quarter, which he did that one game. Mm. If you keep chasing that one game from a few weeks ago where he did win it for them against the Texans in the fourth quarter in overtime, if you keep chasing that, you're going to leave offense on the table. So that's just one of my takeaways from this entire week of running backs did nothing this week and points were scored left and right in a whole bunch of games. Yeah, as I say, it was a tough week for the running backs do matter, truthers. Um, Dalvin Cook mattered this week and basically nobody else. Well, because Dalvin's awesome. And as I said a few years ago, he's the best running back in the league. Pure runner. You might be right. Well, Nick, Nick Chubb. I reworded I re- I worded it at the time. I said he's better than Zeke, he's better than Todd Gurley, and better than whoever else people thought was good at the time. Yeah. 
And I was right about that, at least. Yeah. I mean, he's as good as anyone. I was wrong about other stuff, like the Bucks this week, but mm. let's just focus on the positive here. All right. That's it, man. Monday Night Football, Patriots at the Jets. What are you looking for in that one? Uh, go go uh, listen to the, the preview podcast. Nothing. We yeah, previewed nothing. it. Yeah, so, yeah, okay, right. The Patriots are in a weird mental space for the first time ever, basically, right? This is a team that has had limitless um, resources of mental fortitude built off the institutional memory that comes from winning endlessly. Now they're not winning. How do, how, how do you bounce back from that mentally? Can they, you know, do they rebound and just wax the Jets because they're supposed to? Or do they realize that now they kind of suck and they got nothing to play for? You know what helps? What helps? Joe Flacco getting the start on Monday Night Football okay. for the Jets with their no playmakers. So go check it out. Go check out our preview podcast. And if you didn't, I know some of you were watching the election stuff last week. Mm -hmm. So if you missed the preview podcast, go back and listen to it. It's worth it just for the Steve Smith interview alone. So go check that out in uh, the archives. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll be back on Thursday previewing all of the Week 10 action. Everybody have a good one. <laughs> <laughs>